Well, as Ben said, I am uh, going to conclude our sermon series this morning. Uh, we've called it Membership May. And if you recall, we um, kind of kicked off Membership May at the end of April by talking about missions, right? Two weeks of missions. What does it look like for us to reach uh, the, uh, the, the world, um, to reach those who are lost? And then uh, we, uh, we talked about um, our church and specifically our denomination, uh, ben talked about uh, the, the value of, of um, this denomination of ours, the PCA. Um, and then the following week after that, you, we discussed the role of a pastor. And uh, may I say again how thankful I am to you all and how you have graciously received me into, uh, into my role. And then last week, uh, Ben did a fantastic job of reminding us of uh, the joy, the value um, that, uh, that we have in raising our children to, uh, to encounter Jesus. So I'm excited to, to preach this morning on what I really feel like is kind of the next logical step. Um, if we're reaching the lost, if people are meeting Jesus, they're coming with their kids, they have the gospel, now what do they need? They need to be taught. They need to see what it looks like um, to, uh, to follow Jesus. Um, so I'm excited uh, to, uh, to talk to you about discipleship. Now I, I should acknowledge that maybe this is a topic you're not familiar with. Maybe it's actually like a sensitive topic. You haven't had good experience with discipleship. Will you just, for a moment, give me an open mind and hopefully a, uh, an eager heart, and we'll talk about it together. Can I just pray again real quick for, for myself, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. Uh, Father, would you, um, would you disciple me even in this moment? Uh, would, you, uh, would you give me um, your truth? Uh, would you, Father, uh, by your grace and mercy, uh, strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. Speak through me, speak despite me. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I got a question for you. Um, who are you following? Who is it that, uh, that you're following? What, what are the voices that are speaking into your life? When it, when it comes to the large decisions of every day when it comes to the small decisions of your everyday life? Who are you listening to? What are the voices that you're following? What's influencing you? What, what informs what you believe about yourself, about the world around you? What informs what it is that you're actually going to do about those things? Who are you following? What leads you to, to your happiness? What leads you and drives you on a spiritual level? What motivates you? What gives you purpose each day? What, uh, what, what informs your relationships, your relationship to your spouse, to your kids, to your neighbors? What, what informs your, your working hours and your home hours? What informs your politics, your ethics? What are the voices that inform who you are and how you act? And the, the thing that I want to build this entire sermon on this morning is this one very clear imperative. If you want to grow, if you want to change if you say that you're a follower of Jesus and you want to see change in your life, you have to answer this question. What voice are you following? You know, even if you may not be immediately aware, I guarantee you, you're following something. You're being informed by something. There are voices influencing you, driving you to whatever direction it might be, each and every day. So I would say to you this morning that you are being discipled by something. Discipleship is ultimately just a relationship. It's a relationship between you and something else where you are looking to that thing to receive your values, to know what to do. 
You're being discipled by something. So the need for discipleship in our church is uh, it's, it's actually a pretty crowded field. Like we're, we're not, I'm not building something out of nothing here. You're being discipled by something. And it's my hope, maybe even starting this morning, that you would be discipled by Jesus. And perhaps uh, you've, uh, you've heard it said that to know a person's treasure, you should check their bank account. Well, just as that is deeply true, I think we could say if you want to know a person's discipleship, just find the loudest and most consistent voices in their lives. That's most likely who we're following. So what are the loudest voices? What are, what are the most consistent voices in your life? Let me, uh, let me answer this question for you from my own life. Um, have you ever wanted to, uh, to like, see the email inbox or the social media feed of a pastor? I'm going to give it to you. It's actually really boring. Um, but I'm going to give it to you, okay? Um, I took note this week, uh, just like a quick inventory of the forms and the forms of media and marketing that I interacted with from the start of my day until about 10 in the morning. Okay, so uh, if, if I get up somewhere around like 6.30, so from 6.30 in the morning until 10 in the morning, here's what happened on this past Wednesday morning. Within 20 minutes in the morning, I had viewed or listened to somewhere around 12 to 15 different specifically tailored advertisements on my phone and media outlets. I saw numerous pictures from my friends' lives that made their lives seem a whole lot more exciting than mine as portrayed on social media. Um, I listened to approximately 15 minutes of, uh, of news um, on NPR with two more commercials in there. In my inbox, uh, upon opening my computer at 8.15 in the morning, I already had three other emails from various news, news sites two of which are secular, one of which I think I could describe as kind of generally Christian. Um, upon opening more emails, I glanced at advertisements from Schnucks, two sports stores, Amazon, a workout company, a shoe company, and a sock company. I get emails from sock companies. That's how boring my life is. <laughs> um, in my, uh, my first hour of work, I received messages from almost every one of the banks and credit card companies that I do business with, along with the makers of my trash can. Let's see? Uh, my refrigerator, and from Starbucks to tell me that tomorrow was Double Star Day. <laughs> I received my daily email giving me the word of the day, a word that I'm certain is not chosen at random, um, and, uh, and I received updates uh, with the headlines from Major League Baseball from the day before, and then just to top it all off, an email from Ticketmaster to tell me all the amazing concerts that are coming up. That was by 10 o'clock in the morning. What are the voices that are speaking into your life? What are the voices that you're following? You know, I should say that uh, we, we don't just have external voices, do we? We have internal voices. Uh, voices that are, that are speaking some kind of story to us. For many of us, it's, it's stories of, of what? Of insecurity, of anxiety, of fear, of doubt. Or maybe it's actually stories of overconfidence, of pride, of arrogance. We've got to understand this. The head and the heart space of each of our lives is a very competitive market. It's a very competitive market. I want, I want you to know and believe that, that there is an exceedingly better choice when you choose Jesus. An exceedingly better choice when you choose Jesus. I told you that discipleship is a relationship. 
That's what Christian discipleship is. It's a relationship, but not to anything in this world, but a relationship with Jesus. When you're being discipled as a Christian, you're listening to the voice of Jesus. So there's plenty of ways that we could summarize or define discipleship. Here's, uh, here's, here's my own. The heart of discipleship is this. Ben gave his own definition earlier. It's the regular dedication of our entire lives to the voice of Jesus. It's a regular dedication of our entire lives to the voice of Jesus. That's what discipleship is. But for, this, for the sake of the sermon, I want to expand this definition, okay? You ready for it? Here's our outline. Um, Christian discipleship is the consistent dedication of your entire life to the truth, the direction, and the work of God. Let me say it one more time. Christian discipleship is the consistent dedication of your entire life to the truth, the direction, and the work of God. So if you want to take notes, uh, please feel free. You'll find the sermon outline uh, there on the screen as well, I, uh, I believe. So let's talk about it together. Discipleship. Um, what, uh, what is discipleship? First, um, to be discipled as a Christian means that we are dedicated to truth. Whose truth are we dedicated to? It's God's truth, right? There's, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, truth in this passage that, that Andrew read for us. Um, but one truth in particular that I want us to, um, to take note of is that what Jesus is doing is he is positioning himself with the Father to clearly state that he lives under God's authority. He does what God tells him to do. He lives a life in response to the authority of God. This is the fundamental idea of discipleship. You have to be committed to God's truth. You have to understand that God is your authority. This passage is part of what's commonly called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And he's making these statements over and over again about God's authority. He's dedicating his followers to this same idea. Just as Jesus follows his father, he's saying, Father, would you take these, your people, and help them to also follow you, that they might also be your, that you might also be their authority. So what's important for us to remember about this truth? Two things. The first is that we have to recognize each day that our ways are not his ways. Our ways are not God's ways. We have to understand that truth does not come from, from our own selves. Um, the truth doesn't come from our own inven invention. It's not some whimsical uh, desire of ours. Truth is not relative, random, or an evolving idea. Truth comes from God. God is eternal. And praise Him for that, right? It's never changing. God's truth, God's authority. Um, discipleship begins when we understand that we have to be committed to the truth that each day, deep in our souls, we need God's authority. Each day, we need God's authority. One of the most beautiful things about discipleship to me is that there's actually no prerequisite. You realize that. Maybe that's part of kind of the, some of the baggage you have over discipleship. You feel like, well, I mean, I, I believe in Jesus, but I don't feel like I'm, I'm really there. I'm not ready to really be a disciple of Jesus. If you understand your need of Jesus and you understand that you can't do life without him, then you're ready to be a disciple. That's where it starts. It starts right there. That you need him for salvation, but you also need him for each and every day. 
But you realize this, that this is a, uh, not a commonly held idea in our culture. There are much different ideas held in our culture, right? What, is, what does culture say? You do you. Whatever, whatever truth you decide, it's your truth. Find, uh, find what you think is right. Be led by, your, by the moral compass of your heart. And wherever you come out on the other end of that process, that'll be the best spot for you. That's what our culture says. Um, I, uh, I heard it on a, a podcast just this week. Um, activist, public speaker, and New York Times best-selling um, author Glennon Doyle um, said this. Uh, she said, as a speaker... All around the country, I meet people who are struggling. They want to know what the right thing is to do with their lives. She said this, the reason why we can't do could and should and good and right and wrong is because there is no norm. There is no right way to do life. There's no right way to do family. There are no maps. We are each, every single one of us, a pioneer. Each of us are here to create and express our own idea of love, of family, our own idea of faith and what is true, what's true to our innermost being. Buried down deep in each of us is our own unique story of truth. Do you see how lost the world is? God's truth. We need God's truth. Listen, homes, families, individuals and certainly our entire culture they are not flourishing and they're not flourishing because we've lost our conviction of truth we've abolished any structure of higher authority in our lives it was uh, it was it was wild the same day that i heard that uh, that podcast that i podcast that i mentioned to you i heard an interview with one of my favorite uh, musicians john mayer uh, the interview was from actually probably about eight or nine years ago john mayer is a a Grammy-winning um, artist. He's had a really successful um, career, and, uh, and he described in this interview where he really kind of spent a decade of his life chasing his ego, and it was just like a path of, of destruction um, left behind him. His relationships were a mess, um, and uh, he was talking to this interviewer kind of about his life, and, and the interviewer asked him, he said, you know, John, what's, what's really wrong with the world? It was amazing what, what he said. Um, he, he turned back to the interviewer and he said, I'll, I'll tell you what's wrong with the world. He said, what's wrong with the world, the reason why, why people are so messed up in our culture, he said, is that in our culture, there, was, there is no one left to tell you what to do anymore. In our culture, there's no one left to tell you what to do in you, anymore. In our culture, the highest value currently is autonomy, is getting to be your own authority. Do you realize what he said? Here's a guy who, by his own admission, is a recovering ego addict, addicted to his self, his own self-promotion, and he realized after 10 years of his life just being destroyed, he realized that he has to live under someone else's authority. That's what's wrong with our culture. The truth is this. God gave us the world. We messed it up, but Jesus gave it all so that we could have it all back. The truth of this case has been proven right. We cannot trust our own sinful and broken desires. We cannot trust this heart that resides inside of us. The truth is that our ways are not his ways, but we have to turn to his ways to shape us, to mold us, right? Discipleship begins when our own personal authority and our own personal agency ends and we dedicate ourselves to God's authority. We've got to start there. All right, so that's the first part of God's truth. Uh, another principle that I want to draw out of here 
um, as a, a truth in discipleship is that we cannot expect to be successfully discipled unless we're willing to do life in community. We have to be willing to do life in community. We see it in Jesus' prayer, this regular use of these plural pronouns. He's not praying this prayer for one particular person, right? He's praying it for all of his followers. This is a, a commissioning prayer to say, God, take them. They are together. They're doing life together. Grow them up in your grace together. Life in community. Life with Jesus is meant to be in unity, together as a collective people of God, walking together in faith. We have to do life together. God did not leave Adam alone, even in the perfection of creation, right? He did not leave Adam alone. He did not leave Israel alone. He did not leave Moses or David, nor any of the 12 disciples alone. He put them in relationship. God created us to do life together. It's beautiful, and I hope you're thankful for it. You are not alone. So I was meeting with a, uh, a guy in our church, really great guy, um, has, uh, has some really great stories. God's doing some really cool things in, uh, in his life. And uh, we we're talking about, you know, our families, what it means to be a Christian, all these different things. And he told me this. He said, Chad, you know, um, I, uh, I'm a guy who can kind of like get things done. I like getting my hands dirty. So if, if something breaks in my house, I can do it. I've got it. If, if my roof needs repair, I'm going to hop up on the roof and I'm going to start throwing shingles. If, if my furnace needs to be replaced, I'm going to pull out that furnace myself, and I'm going to replace it. If my car needs repairs, if my, if my lawnmower needs repairs, I'm going to do it myself. Then he told me this. He said, the one thing I've learned is that although I can do lots of things on my own, the one thing I cannot do on my own is follow Jesus. I can't do it. I got to tell you, <laughs> that, that guy, in that moment, I realized he is actually a lot further along um, that, that I might have realized at the start of the conversation. With that one understanding, I cannot follow Jesus by myself. It's a fundamental truth. Community, we need it. It's a gift. Can I tell you something? God knew exactly what he was doing when he brought you to this church. He knew precisely what he was doing when he brought you to this church. And he knew what he was doing when he brought your pew buddies that are right there with you, when he brought them into this church. And he knows what he's doing every time he brings a visitor into this church. He brought you together, Kirk of the Hills, to do life together. This is not an accident. It's God's sovereign plan. You have community. This is where life change happens. Discipleship occurs when we share our lives with each other. But listen, I know it's not easy. This is not easy to do. I don't, I don't like telling people all the awful things that exist inside of my heart. I don't always like talking about the, the broken places in, uh, in my story. But when we understand the gospel, we understand that what God says about us is true, that we are sinful and broken, but also beloved, forgiven, then when we believe that about ourselves, like that's actually our identity, then we can start to tell the ugly truth about ourselves. Then we can start to express the intimacy we have with Jesus. We can express it with other people in community. So I would say if you're struggling with community, wrestle with the gospel first. And then go. Go in honesty to, uh, to your neighbor, to your friends um, here in our church. Share your lives. It's where, uh, it's where life change happens. So discipleship is a dedication to truth. But secondly, it's also a dedication 
to God's direction in our lives. In, uh, in his prayer, I told you, Jesus is commissioning his people. He's, he's kind of sending out all those who have been saved. He's releasing them to go and live in the world. But is he telling them to go and live like the rest of the world? Of course not, right? What's he saying? Just like uh, much of the book of James and really so much of the New Testament. Father, you've given me these people. They are yours. Your plan of salvation has been working in their lives. Now, Father, I give them to you to continue to live the rest of their lives as your followers. Salvation has happened. Now, Father, keep them as they learn um, what it looks like to follow you. I love this in verse 19. What does Jesus say right there at the end? He says, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here? This, this idea of consecrating. Jesus says, I'm consecrating myself. I'm giving myself over. I'm setting my life apart for their sake. This prayer of Jesus is just before his trial, his crucifixion, his death. So what is Jesus saying? I am giving my life as a ransom for them so that they might be saved, so that salvation might be accomplished. But that's not the word he uses. So that they might be sanctified. Sanctification is not salvation. That's justification. Sanctification is the work of God in our lives. The process of looking more and more like him. Of growing more holy. So what does Jesus say? I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to give my life so that they could actually grow while they're living on this earth. As they're following you. This is why Jesus did it. He died not just so that you could be saved, but so a path of holiness could be set for you as well. Jesus died so that you could truly understand holiness. So that you could live a life dedicated to him. So what, is this, uh, what does this practically mean? What does this mean in your everyday life? Well, it means that we have a voice that we can actually trust. We have a voice that we can trust with our lives. Instead of all those outside voices or the inner voices of our own creation, we have a voice of the Savior Jesus. To be discipled is to seek his voice, to listen for his voice, and to follow it. I want to illustrate a couple different things here. First, I want to illustrate the voice we need this way. Um, I've got one illustration, and I've got to tell you, this is, uh, this is something that happened in my life that's both like embarrassing and frustrating and and I got to make it worth it for a sermon illustration. Okay, so here's my one shot. Um, so a couple years ago, about a year and a half ago, um, if you know me, you've probably heard this story. But about a year and a half ago, I was uh, in Nashville at a, a conference. And I um, was uh, on one of these electric scooters. Have you seen these? They're in downtown St. Louis uh, here as well. And, uh, and I got to say, I'm normally like a pretty like, cautious, conservative guy. But there's something about getting on this electric scooter that made me, like, just fearless. And, uh, and I, I, I took off on one of these, uh, these scooters. I was with a couple um, friends before this conference started. And I'd actually ridden them a couple times before. And so I knew what it looked like to manage curbs. And uh, I, I was uh, at full speed, which is about 17, 18 miles an hour on one of these scooters, and realized that there was a curb coming up that I wasn't going to be able to take. I wasn't going to be able to turn into this. Um, this particular parking lot and uh, so I bailed I, I stepped off of the scooter <laughs> and the thing is is that as much as I had thought I could do it my feet don't actually move at 18 miles an hour <laughs> and 
Uh, and so I took kind of one big step and 18 miles uh, per hour of uh, force in my body landed on the concrete right on my knee and, uh, and, and broke uh, my uh, patella, my kneecap. And um, just your sighs are enough to make me feel better. And uh, it, was, uh, it was broken. And I had to have surgery to have it um, repaired. And uh, two things I want to kind of illustrate with that story. Um, the first is this. Two things had to happen. Um, so, so this bone was not going to heal on itself. It needed surgery. And, and I think that was kind of a picture of the, the work the surgeon did. It was kind of this picture of what God does in our salvation. He, he takes something that's broken and he puts it back together. He heals it. So the surgeon's work um, was done once he deemed the bone healed. But that wasn't all that was necessary, right? The surgeon did his work, and then what did I need? I needed physical therapy. I needed someone to, to take what was kind of left after the surgery and after the healed bone and help get me better, right? This is, uh, this is the picture of salvation. I'm sorry, of discipleship is that uh, your heart's been healed, you have a new heart, but now that new heart has to learn what it looks like to follow Jesus. So there's a voice. There's the voice, there's a voice that you need and a voice that you have to listen to. Um, this, um, This surgery though, it left my leg immobilized for eight weeks. So my leg was straight for eight weeks. And, you know, imagine if you've been riding in a car for a long time and like the tightness you feel in your body or um, if you kind of sleep wrong one night and you got a crick in your neck, whatever, or maybe that's every morning for you, you wake up with sore bones and whatever it may be. Eight weeks and uh, my leg was not ready to move at all. But my surgeon, I didn't look back at my surgeon when he told me you need physical therapy and tell him, no, I mean, I'm good. I got it. It'll be fine. No, what was I listening for? I wanted to know who's going to help me. I can't stay like this by myself. I need help. So who came in? It was Derek. Derek, my, uh, my physical therapist, he entered into my life, and, uh, and he really was a picture of Jesus for me. Because uh, what, did, what did Derek do? Is this, this the second sub-point there. He gave me the course and the encouragement that I needed. He gave me the, the course and the encouragement that, uh, that I needed. Um, you know, you can imagine why Derek was so special to me. Uh, he, was, uh, he was the voice that I needed. And he was a voice that not just gave me like the, the steps, the process, the exercises, but he was the voice that was encouraging me along the way. Part of Derek's job is to understand anatomy. So he was able to explain to me why the, the pain was showing up in different um, parts of, of my knee and my leg. He was the one that, that was there to push me, to push me <laughs> and to push me. But also he knew when to back off. He knew when to offer me encouragement. He understood the fatigue I was going through. And it seemed at times in his eyes, in his eyes, he could... He could experience the pain with me. You know, your father is in the same relationship with you. Your heavenly father. He enters in. He understands the pain. He understands what you're going through. He has a compassionate heart. He collects your tears. He comes alongside you. 
and he tenderly, lovingly, and sometimes firmly says, let's go. Listen to my voice. I've got you. I've got a prescribed way. I've got a direction for you. I know where I want your life to head. Let's do it. Let's go. I'm right here beside you. That's discipleship. It's dedication to the direction of God. Dedication to the direction of God must first, though, come from a desire to change. You have to want to change, right? You have to have a desire for a new set of values in your life, more redemptive goals, more redemptive aspirations. During those months of physical therapy, I never had to be convinced that I needed therapy, right? I knew. Each day I knew. I had to, I needed, had to find the drive for the difficult part of progress, but I was certain in my belief that I needed to improve. That's what it means to be dedicated to the direction of God. Each day to say, God, I need you to lead me. Direct me, direct me, direct me. And when you do that, when you place your life in God's hands, I promise you amazing things will happen. Incredible things will happen. What are those amazing things? What's our third point? It's God's work. When, when you dedicate yourself to God's truth and God's direction, you will start to see God's work in your life more clearly. It's part of the process of discipleship. We dedicate ourselves to looking out for, discerning, and understanding the work of God in our lives. Someone who's being discipled expects that God is always at work. Someone who's being discipled expects that God is always doing something, always moving them a little further down the, uh, the, the field. There's two things I want to just mention to you about God's work. Um, the first is this. Um, any, any movement towards God, any investment in the process of discipleship is a sure investment. It's a sure investment. You know, maybe uh, if, if you have some kind of like negative associations with discipleship, maybe it's, uh, it's because you've been a part of a, a process of discipleship before and it was ultimately kind of disappointing. Like the energy built and the excitement built and you got some people together and you were going to do the process of discipleship and you feel like it just kind of fell flat. Well, let me tell you, any time that you can spend dedicated to God's truth, God's direction, and God's work is good work. It may not turn out exactly as you hoped it would this time, but it is always good work. That's the promise of God's word, right? It doesn't re return void. What's, uh, what's, what's the hope of every investor? Anybody who invests in the stock market, they're having to always gauge risk, right? But they would, they'd hope to find one day a sure bet, right? Investing in God's work, dedicating yourself to his truth and his direction is a sure bet, God will work in it in some way. When you believe in God's work, that he's always at work, you are convinced. You're convinced in this process of discipleship that he will do something. Because he will meditate on his word, study his word, do life together. Commit yourselves to these things. And, uh, and, and God will um, he'll be at work. He's always at work, but he will especially be at work then. Uh, last thing I want to say is that um, when you are committed to God's work... Um, you will have growth by grace, and you will see that it is always for God's good and your good. Growth by grace, always for God's good. You know, this was uh, the theme of the life of Joseph, right? That through suffering and broken relationships in Joseph's story, God was always where? He was always at work in his life, right? Enacting a plan of good in Joseph's life.
I heard a story recently of a, a woman named Amy. And uh, Amy had uh, four small kids. And uh, just shy of 10 years of being married to her husband, uh, he got sick with cancer and within four months uh, died and left behind Amy and, uh, and his four small children. And she was wrecked by it. She was destroyed by this. And uh, she had um, a solid year of grief that overwhelmed her. And just about uh, nine months ago, she started to come out of this um, season of grief. And she was a part of a songwriting uh, process, actually, with, uh, with um, some, uh, some artists. And uh, wrote a song about this experience that was called Still Wonderful. And, uh, and near the end of the song, uh, she, she has these words. She says, um, hurt and hope. Watch as I carry both. My life is not exactly as I planned, but it's still good. Hurt and hope. Watch as I carry both. My life's not exactly as I planned, but it's still good. What if that was your song? It is your song. It can be your song. When you're following Jesus, this is the song you sing. Hurt and hope. I don't understand it, Father, but it's for your good. It's for your good. Hurt and hope. You can carry both. How do we know that? Because God's at work in all things, right? You can carry both in your life. God's still good. This is the life of a disciple. It's dedication to the work of God, no matter how he might be doing it. It's the belief that God's always working for good. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So one last story, um, and, uh, and we'll wrap this up. It's, it's a story that I want to tell. Um, it's, a, it's a part of this whole experience with my, my knee. Uh, but I want to tell it to address the tension that we feel in discipleship. Like, you might have been waiting this entire sermon for, like, what are the steps of discipleship? How do, I, how do I actually grow as a disciple? What does it look like to be a disciple? And I think that's where we get stuck a lot in the discipleship process. We get slowed down because we feel like we're not making progress or we don't have a clear understanding of, of what, uh, what it looks like to be a, a disciple. So we just kind of don't dedicate, dedicate ourselves to it. We kind of run out of energy. I want to address the, the tension with this, uh, this question uh, or this story, excuse me. Um, in that, uh, that rehab process, um, I, I told you I got released by the surgeon. I moved out of the um, brace that was holding my leg straight, and I moved into a brace that was hinged. And that hinge ran from zero degrees to about 140 degrees. And I could push buttons on the hinge that would control how much uh, that, that brace um, would move. And the direction from the doctor and, and from the therapist was, um, you need to increase your range of motion to 120 degrees in 12 weeks, okay? So that's not hard math, um, but I did it very quickly and realized, okay, 120 degrees, 12 weeks, okay, 10 degrees a week, okay, 1.3 degrees a day. And that really kind of became this theme of my life. Sometimes even in like, singular moments of my day one degree one degree one degree and it was excruciating one degree one degree 
but there wasn't success every day. I also found around the same time, thinking back to the name of the church camp that I went to as a kid, it was called Maranatha. Do you know what the word Maranatha means? It means come Lord. So that was my song. Heal me, Father. Heal me just, just one degree. But come, Lord. I'm tired of this pain. Come, Lord. Heal my body. Make me new. One degree, Maranatha. One degree, Maranatha. That's the rhythm of discipleship. Each day, being committed to one degree. But when you don't get that one degree... Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Let me pray. Father, we, um, we can't do this life without you. We, uh, we, we certainly would have no hope for salvation without you, um, but we also would have uh, no, uh, no hope in our discipleship without you. So, Father, would you heal us? Even if just by um, a, a few degrees uh, would you heal us each day. Teach us your grace. Teach us your love. Teach us, what, teach us what it means to follow you, to be under your authority. Help us see the beauty of a life dedicated to you. And Father, um, may it be uh, our, our passion as a church, our heart's desire um, as, uh, as, as we live in life life in community together. Father, we pray these things in the name of your Son who was consecrated for us. Amen.